Hello and welcome back to The Nevers Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the discussion and dissection of every episode of the upcoming HBO series, The Nevers. An original sci-fi drama epic from writer, producer, director Joss Whedon. If you'd like to follow us online, you can visit us at hbothenevers.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube, simply at hbothenevers. You can stream our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and basically anywhere else you can stream podcasts, really. I'm your host, Tig, and on today's show we'll be discussing the HBO aesthetic and how we think that will fit with the Nevers, the Buffy reboots, and finally, who we'd like to see write or direct episodes of Season 2. Then we'll be dipping into the mailbag to answer your letters. And as I, as I list it now, it really is quite a lot, so we should probably get started. Joining me today, as ever, are Kelly and Gina. How are you today, ladies? Hey. Excellent. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Sadly, as our regular listeners may have noticed, Dennis is not here. He was busy and couldn't come be here today, but I'm sure he will be back with us next episode. And we have definitely missed Kelly. Very, yes, very much so. Glad to have you back, Kelly. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. I'm glad to be back. First of all, a quick PSA. We are not in any way an official podcast. We've had a few people online referring to us as being the official podcast and our website being the official website. We just want to let everyone know we're not at all. There is nothing official about what we do. I'm sure HBO will eventually have an official social media presence and a website. And when that happens, I'm sure there will be much fanfare. But we are simply a group of very passionate fans who wanted to share our love and our website and our podcast with the world. So just putting that out there. Speaking of passionate, dedicated fans... The Nevers cast, our good friends, have got their podcast up and running. So from everyone here at the Nevers podcast, we'd like to say hello and welcome to the world to them. Great to have another podcast out there all about the Nevers, and this is in no way a competition. Yes, everyone enjoy all the podcasts. Finally, I want to say a quick shout out to everyone over at the FOMO show, which I really, really love saying. They gave us a shout out in their episode about their podcast. We just thought we'd say hey back. And if anyone's finding us this week because of that, hello and welcome. So what's everyone up to since the last time we recorded, which seems like months ago. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm even trying to remember what happened yesterday. So (laughs) (laughs) tell me about it. Well, it's been a bigger break for me, and you're right, I feel like so much time has has gone past, but I will say I have another podcast, which I will talk about later, Uh, just celebrated our one-year anniversary, which was was pretty fantastic. It's been one hell of a ride, so we kind of, that was the the month of July. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been back here. Yeah, so that was the month of July, and we kind of just took the time off and relaxed, and our one-year anniversary episode of the podcast is up on all podcasting apps. It's called I Spit on Your Podcast. I said it before, and I'll say it again. Nice. Awesome title. How about you, Gina? What have you been up to? You're a busy lady. (laughs) So, LA always feels like uh, San Diego Comic-Con almost every week, (laughs) so (laughs) I've been lucky enough to... um, I've seen it chapter two three times already, and it comes out in a few days because uh, I've got to advance screenings from the studio. Um, I obviously won't spoil a thing, so please, maybe if you listeners want to go see it chapter two, I can't recommend it enough. So I'm gonna say, 
Excellent. I love hearing that. I really enjoyed chapter one. So I'm super pumped. I guess I should probably go on Friday. Thanks for the reminder. Oh my God, please. And then, oh yeah, if you haven't, please try to rewatch chapter one. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just because there's a little little hints here and there of things that might happen in the sequel. And it's way better if you have a refresher. Good to know. Thank you very so. much. I think it's now on Netflix. So pretty much, you know, most people can watch chapter one. Nice. Well, we should probably dive into the news roundup. Roly Erlum, stunt coordinator of Game of Thrones, has been hired as the stunt coordinator for the Nevers. That should be good. Rochelle Neal, aka Annie Carby, aka Bonfire, shared two clips of her practicing fire breathing, presumably in preparation for her role in the Nevers. Listeners can see those video clips by visiting the blog page on our site. According to cinematographer David Corley's website, he's working on The Nevers, filming behind-the-scenes footage for the series. What exactly this footage will be used for, we don't know. But it's safe to assume that at least some of it will be used for Blu-ray extras, online featurettes and general marketing hype. Planning application data reveals that the production company behind The Nevers has requested, and been granted, use of its filming studio for the next five years. The implication being they're planning for at least three seasons. Five if they try and push out one a year. I don't know about you two, but that makes me very happy. The fact they're planning on not just this first season, but they're already booking the studio time to film at least two more seasons, makes me really feel like HBO are putting their weight behind this show. Do you think that shows good things for the future? Yeah, we always were all kind of hesitant. Like, we hoped there'd be a season two, right? And obviously, this isn't, like, official confirmation. Mm. However, it's beyond a good sign. Besides all the amazing crew that HBO has put together for this, now it's like, are you kidding? For five years? Like, oh, again, it it, it seems like it's going to be more than just two seasons now if it's five years. Obviously, this takes a while to, like, mm. write and produce and actually create, but... I don't know. That's amazing. Like, it's me really hyped. I think that's a good thing about Joss kind of outsourcing a lot of the writing to the amazing writer's room he's put together. It means he can be on set doing his usual Joss eye in the sky thing while the writers are all back in their little cave <laughs> getting season two out of the way already. Like, they can already be getting season two set up while season one is still filming now that they know they're, when they're guaranteed, but the sort of luck is on their side in setting up season two and possibly even three four and five yeah Yeah, exactly and as we know joss whedon you know he writes his narratives and his story arcs everything so well in advance Mm. so he's already got this all figured out (laughs) (laughs) so i think that's great news so far there's only been i think fantastic news that's a really good point there's nothing that is warning us about how uh how much hbo has trust in this process like if anything it's all been amazing signs of how good the show's gonna be Mm, they're really kind of they're throwing their full weight behind it And that shows not only that we'll hopefully get a product of the quality that we expect from HBO, but it shows they must have a certain amount of faith 
in Joss, in the scripts, and in the actors to know that this show is really going to connect with its audience. Agreed. And also, even besides the uh, production company getting five more years, all the rest of the other news is really exciting. I really want to see um, Rochelle Neal, who's playing Bonfire, mm. I really want to see her practicing fire breathing because that's intense. Like It's so cool. <laughs> instead of just having a stump person or visual effects do that, she's like hardcore going there and that's amazing true commitment Indeed. to character for sure i'm also really hoping that the idea of not just having her sort of purse her lips and then cgiing in some flame will carry across to other aspects of the show as well one of the things that i've really enjoyed about the past sort of five or so years starting with things like uh, mad max fury road and the force awakens is the return of big Hollywood and, to a certain extent, TV, practical effects. Yes. So I'm really hoping as much as can be done on set for the Nevers, I want them to do on set while making sure they don't set each other on fire because <laughs> that, that could cause a bit of a problem. Yes, agreed. I'm all about as many practical effects as absolutely possible because... That's incredible. There's an incredible amount of work that goes into that. It looks better, you know, so I would also love that. Yeah, it never made sense to me why. I mean, obviously there's a logistical reason, but I also love practical effects more than visual effects. It just looks obviously more real. Um, it helps the actors get into their performances better if they're not looking at just a green screen and they're actually interacting with something. So yeah, it's it's a good sign if an actress is literally fire breathing. Like I'm currently watching the new Netflix series of The Dark Crystal. Oh Age of awesome! I really want to see that. <laughs> Loving that so far. Yeah. So just talking about you know practical versus CGI. Is so that's like vast majority of the show is like the original movie of the sense of it's all real, it's all practical effects, it's all puppetry, it's incredible. It's very much upgraded from the movie I think came out in 1985. So it's just like so pristine and clear. However, the so far what I have noticed is that the Skeksis have CGI tongues and you know, I think I can forgive that, but you can really tell that they are CGI, but it makes more sense to have their tongues be able to have actual movement, whereas I think previously they weren't able to have movement, and it, or it just looks kind of cheesy, where if you want to update everything, you might need to have a CGI tongue, so... <laughs> <laughs> that actually brings up a really good point. I feel like the only way visual effects they should use that obviously more than practical is if like they have no other choice or if it's for a story reason. And I feel like a lot of films mm -hmm. and TV shows don't look at it like that. They're just like, oh, this is cheaper and faster. So let's just do visual effects. But now I'm really curious to watch yeah. that and <laughs> see it. A few episodes in, it, yeah. it is really, really, it's a great show. And it's very well done. I hadn't noticed the CGI tongues, but I'm now going to look for them next time I watch an episode. <laughs> great. I've ruined it for you. I'm sorry. But I guess maybe it was just really obvious to me. I, don't <laughs> I usually watch late at night, so I'm not at my sharpest while watching it. Right. That's fair. But I think that is really the best way to use VFX in these kind of shows. Not to create the effect, but just to enhance yeah. what's been done yeah. with practical effects. So to bring this back loosely to the Nevers... Have Rochelle do a bit of fire breathing, but keep her a good, you know, foot or two away yes. from anything flammable. Then use the CGI to enhance the flames 
make it actually hit the targets and then they you know explode or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And enhancing the effect, not creating yes. it, is I think definitely the best way to go. Yeah, I love that. So, on to our first topic. HBO, what can we tell from their past dramas and how do we think that's going to affect the look of The Nevers? I think I've only really watched three big HBO dramas in my time, and that was The Sopranos, True Blood, and Game of Thrones. Two things mainly come to mind that connect those three shows aesthetically and in their general setup. One, they've always been quite rich. There's not many kind of empty rooms. There's always a lot of kind of set design, a lot of styling. It's always very lavish, which is I think will be perfect for Victorian London. So I'm hoping they do bring that across. And the second thing, which I'm really, really hoping they bring across, all three of those shows had amazing theme tunes. <laughs> so I'm really hoping the Nevers gets a cracking intro. I do love a good intro. Me too. I feel like that kind of just sets the stage, you know what I mean, for what you're going mm. to watch if you have a really strong intro and Interesting song. fact about the intro to True Blood. Um, that was actually made by Alan Ball. They were like, all right, we need an intro. Give us a rough kind of a rough outline. So he went away. He cut together some pictures, laid over a track he found on YouTube. Took it. He's like, yeah, this is sort of what we want. And they watched it. And they were like, nah, that's it. You hit it out of the park. Don't swing when you've hit the ball. We're running with that. Like, they cleaned up a bit, obviously. But nice. I mean, anyone that's in the intro, it's one of the all-time greatest intro sequences of a TV show. So I'm hoping that we get something of that caliber for this. Well, and especially, obviously, a show set in Victorian London. It could be so cool, visually and music-wise. So it'd be a shame if we didn't have an awesome theme song. Mm -hmm. Definitely. For me, I haven't watched a lot of HBO shows. I actually went through the HBO list just to refresh my memory. And I've seen season one of True Detective, season one of True Blood, all of The Sopranos, all of Rome, and all of Six Feet Under. And that's it. Um... What I do, and there a lot of those are the older shows, the older HBO shows, but definitely what I could tell from all of them, you're right, fantastic cinematography. Like, I know, I know that HBO shows are top notch television shows, top notch entertainment. They just usually don't have subject matter that I'm super interested in, but you know, it's top notch cinematography, the acting, you're right, the music. I was just thinking as you were talking about the, you know, the shows that I have seen, but incredible usage of color in in their shows, like cinematography, you have to put in a lot of uh, time and effort and thought in, into your details that you're creating for the show and the usage of color. Like The Sopranos, it was, you know, when it when they were outside, everything was like really bright when you're at that that little shop that they have is really bright. And I felt like Six Feet Under, a lot of the colors were very muted and everything was kind of just like pastel and a bit dark. That show is quite mm. dark. Um, and Rome was also very bright just overall, you know? And I just think that if they just keep going with the, the, the history of HBO, that will have all of these wonderful things. And I think I'm just, again, I've said this before, but I'm pretty pumped for just the... The budget, the high caliber, and this is this is like the pretty much the perfect next step for Joss Whedon. I think. It's funny I hadn't noticed it until you brought it up, but actually thinking back on the shows I've seen, they are excellent when it comes to using color palettes to kind of to set scenes before anyone has even spoken, before there's even people on screen. 
their use of the colour and the setting really does set the mood from yeah. from the moment yeah. the camera starts rolling. So I'm really looking forward to what they can do to kind of show the difference between probably, and you know, we've got kind of the medical era, the region, sort of mm-hmm. the undergrounds, sort of ne'er-do-wells, the upper class, the orphans. It's going to be quite interesting to see yeah. if they do stick with their pattern of having quite distinct colour palettes to set tone. Definitely. Yeah. And I haven't seen any of Game of Thrones, but anything that I have seen, I also noticed that in it, there's a lot of blues. A lot of, yeah, I find uh, there was a lot of blues and my partner is a cinematographer. So I've learned a bunch about color palettes and like it really just (laughs) sets, sets a tone, sets the feeling, enhances feelings and emotions uh, and tones of of certain scenes and everything. So I think that's just going to be fantastic to see. Oh, I, I love uh, how you're talking about that, because that's something, uh, sure, I maybe take into consideration, but I love how you're focusing on the color palette. <laughs> My partner would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think of it in, like, a different way. And, yeah, again, definitely. it just, uh, I, I'm so excited for the world, more of the world, to see Joss Whedon's work. And he deserves to be a part of a network that does have prestige, you know? It's about definitely, time. Yeah. So. He's really, yeah. he's earned his spot in the Pantheon and now it's time to not cancel him before he has a chance to tell the story he's written. And I, I kind of noticed something. I just did a quick uh, Google search for HBO and on Wikipedia, I've noticed that out of all the shows and every single thing they've ever done, everything at least has two seasons. Interesting. At least. So that's a good sign. It's good to know that it shows that they don't you know? kind of yeah. option properties that they don't have faith in. You know, they, they don't like to take risks, which is good because it means that if they have right. given him probably at least two seasons, maybe even three, you know, they, they're looking to set their next big sort of trophy piece, which is good to know that it's something that I'm this passionate about. And I was just looking up, I couldn't remember off the top of my head, the uh, really wonderful website. It's studiobinder.com. And that talks all about the psychology of color and oh, yes. film. And it's oddly incredibly fascinating maybe that's not odd but it was pretty amazing and you know if you have a lot of blues it represents you know cold isolation cerebral melancholy passivity and calm thinking about the dark crystal purple which is a lot of hues of purple in the dark crystal the dark crystal itself is purple fantasy you know mystical ominous ethereal you know i I've just learned to really love the psychology, uh, you know, of color in film. So if folks are interested in that, we're all nerds. We like this stuff. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I know what I'm doing after we finish recording. Right, right. <laughs> now I'm just, I'm waiting to, I'm waiting for the first sort of trailers to see what kind of color palette they use to see what I can try and guess from that as to the direction they're right. taking. Now that, like now that just got me thinking, like when we have a first official like poster or something, mm, like we're all yes. going to be freaking out. Uh, and got just, just the, uh, just the article on the casting, kind of a paragraph on each character had us going on for about two hours. I think a poster might actually kill one of us. Exactly. <laughs> Assuming it's good. If it's terrible, we're going to, we'll be very upset. Moving on to topic two. Inspired by a question that listener Ethan asked us a few weeks back, the Buffy reboot from Monica Owusu-Breen. What's going on with that? Should we even do we even need a Buffy reboot? Will Joss be involved in helping the plot out, maybe even writing or directing an episode here or there? Will he be executive producer? Will it be name only? 
Personally, I would much rather see a different story about a different Slayer still within the Buffyverse rather than just a straight-up reboot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's a 25, 20-year-old show now, but it still holds up so well. I watched it a few months back. It's still amazing. It doesn't need a reboot. However, from that finale, they they just kick the door. They blew the doors right off the hinges. They have opened that whole world up. So there are so many amazing stories you could tell there. I don't really see why they can't just make a new story in the same universe and why they have to reboot and tell us the same story again, maybe with a few tweaks. What do you guys think? Yeah, uh, I completely agree. I was, <laughs> I'll never forget this. I was at San Diego Comic-Con when the news first uh, broke out that there was going to be another Buffy reboot. And I was with my friend Eve, who had never seen Buffy. So I was like yelling. I'm like, no, no. And she's <laughs> like, what? I'm like, you don't understand. And that now cut to how many years later she's seen Buffy and now she's just as upset as I am. (laughs) And I just don't see someone else with the same premise creating as great of characters. Yeah. That that's my two cents. For me, I agree with both of you for sure. Uh, Definitely with that the series finale, like you said, just kind of kicking that door Mm. off its hinges being like, all right, we've got, you know, it's a free-for-all now. And if you read into season eight of the comics, what I think would be fascinating is to, because we know that there are different like groups of slayers all around the world, and now they're all interconnected through technology and everything. So why don't we just have like this small band of slayers and whatever they're doing in a different place in the world? Have it set in Canada, have it set in the Middle East, you know what I mean? Just have it set somewhere else, Australia. And we could have cameos because it's still within the same universe, but it's still, you know, generally the same kind of story, like the the plight of the slayers and the monsters and all the, the crap that they have to go through and their lives in this new world with now having all of these slayers. And one of the other comics that I, I love, it was Tales of the Slayers and Tales of the Vampires. I love both of those so much, but the Tales of the Slayers was fantastic because it kind of went through a variety of stories of the slayers throughout history like the early ones we have Frey who wasn't in that comic but she has her own but you know it's interesting to kind of see how times change for the slayers and their methodology and the mythology and everything that changes for them so that's what I would like to see you're right does not need to be a remake or a reboot at all but I think if they set it within the universe because it's a huge universe he creates huge worlds right that it would be I would be all for it and if you can get a writer that's going to be as great as Joss and his team was with creating the types of characters and having it it's hard to kind of you can't get back the charm of the 90s so you'd have to of course update it which I think would be challenging for us as Buffy lovers to watch because there'd be so much technology and things like that. Like they didn't really have, they didn't have cell phones. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't really, it would just, I think it'd be hard. Um, but they could, if they could have it as this like witty and as charming and funny, but moving and action packed, I think it would be great. And then we would have a chance to have a bit more of, I think, diversity in our cast, which would be amazing. And the odd cameo. Yeah. The odd cameo. I think all those, mm. I think a lot of those, Actors would love to have a cameo in, you know, in the show. 
what I'd really love to see is almost a kind of sequel of sorts. You know, very similar character arc. Girl becomes Slayer, fights monsters, trials and tribulations along the way. But instead, whereas Buffy was very much about like the hidden war going on beneath the world, kind of she had to keep everything secret. That a good probably twenty five to thirty percent of the episodes revolved around her trying to hide the fact she was super powerful. However, due to the awakening of all the potentials in the end of Buffy, there's no way the world wouldn't know that Slayers exist at that point. I'd love to see a, re- a kind of a kind of a sequel reboot, whatever you want to call it, set in a world where everyone knows the Slayers exist, and through Slayers, yeah. everyone knows about vampires, werewolves, and things that go bump in the night. Like, to kind of almost flip the story around, like what happens if you're the slayer in a world where everyone knows who you are and what you're meant to do so instead of being about trying to accomplish your task while staying hidden it's trying to accomplish your task while the eyes of the world are laser focused on you yeah yeah exactly that's a whole new set Especially, of challenges yeah. for them yeah like mm-hmm. in this world like in talking getting real for a second in a world where we live on you know social media where one tweet from five years ago completely destroys your life. Yeah. How would that be if the image from five years ago was you stabbing a monster and it bursting into dust? Or you failing, you getting knocked out by a vampire and the vampire biting someone? How is that going to like mm-hmm. splash back mm-hmm. on you on social media if your every mistake is for the world to see? Yeah. But your mistake isn't just you know making a crass joke. It's slipping up and someone dying. Right. Oh, God. Could be a really compelling story. <laughs> My heart is just breaking. Again, Monica, if you're listening, them, that one's free. Exist. Take it and run with it. <laughs> you know what's so sad? I love all of your guys' ideas, and I really don't think it's going to be a sequel. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love everything you're saying, and it almost make it okay, yeah. but I, I feel yeah. like she's going to take it back to high school. It's going to be different characters just set in a yeah. world where there's a slayer, and it's like... We definitely don't need that because A, like Take said earlier, just rewatch Buffy, you know? Yes. And B, like, uh, it's, yes, we definitely need a more diverse cast, 100,000%. But then write something new, create something new for a diverse cast. You know, it's almost like, Mm. it's almost like giving a disservice. If you get a diverse cast, you might as well tell a diverse story. Exactly. It's almost giving a disservice, like, well, we can't think of anything for a diverse cast, so let's just come up with an idea that's already happened, but make it diverse. It's like, you can do that, but I feel like it'd be better if it was just a new idea. Agreed. 100%. So I don't know, I I feel like since Joss is so busy with the Nevers, I personally don't see him actually writing an episode. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Unless they offset it so that Buffy is airing, like, so that they're airing in different, so he can, like, he can kind of write the Nevers, get that done, let them film that, jump over to Buffy, do an episode maybe, jump back to the Nevers. I just don't see him being interested at all. You know what I mean? It's He did that <laughs> yeah, for probably. a long period of time, and it's so wonderful and almost like just like perfect as it is. You also have to move on with your career, with your life. Like You don't go backwards. You go forwards. And the Nevers is his forwards. Sure. That's going to be his new, I think in my mind, Buffy type thing. So move on. Okay, let me put it this way. If, if the exact same writer's room from Buffy 
were doing this, I still wouldn't be gung-ho about it. Because, again, just write something else. Like, you guys already made magic. Like, leave it be. But it's not, obviously, the same writer's room. So it's just... I like like you said, Kelly. I don't think Joss. I don't think his heart would be in it because a he's written for the comics for years, and like yeah. that's the canonical story. This pr- probably isn't. So it's like, yeah, I don't see him interested in like writing an alternate universe, Buffy, anything. You yeah. know. So yeah, Ethan. I hope that answers your questions. And yeah, if you have more, feel free to write them in. Okay, topic three is one I actually suggested myself, so needless to say, I have some answers in store. Our wish list for guest writers and directors for Never's Season 2. Obviously, Never's Season 1 is done. The script is finished, they're at the acting stage, that's a pass. However, as we've previously covered, it's looking like there's a very, very good chance we're going to get at least a Season 2, potentially a Season 3, and maybe even if we're very lucky, season four and five. So the question then becomes, who would you like to see writing episodes for future episodes of The Nevers? Now, I have three three names immediately came to mind when I thought of people I would love to see writing The Nevers. One, if you know me or have listened to the podcast, will be quite obvious. One is slightly cheating, but I think you'll agree it's a solid choice, so I'll allow it to pass. And one may come as a bit of a surprise. I'll get the the obvious one out of the way first. I mention him any chance I get. I would absolutely kill to have Neil Gaiman write at least one episode of of this show. (laughs) Yes, please, please, please. He's he's just amazing. He's like my favourite person in the world that isn't related to me. And he's so good at that kind of strange slightly fantasy slightly sci-fi mythology heavy character driven writing i mean it's what he does so i think he would be an absolutely perfect fit for this show and i can tell by the reaction that you all agree so like (laughs) do i have do i have your support here yeah sure the only the only pushback i have is if it takes time away from him writing a potential season two of good omens that might be the only reason i don't want him to <laughs> but i'm pretty sure he's already said that's not happening well no he's he says it's not completely off the table and amazon agrees so i see that happening maybe in five years so if he could do both i am good my second choice i think is slightly cheating but i think you'll agree it's a solid pick his longtime working partner and in fact, his sister-in-law, Mo- um, Marissa Tanchiron. Yes. yes. She's just come off being the producer, writer, showrunner, etc. of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's obviously, that's now gone the way of all other Whedon properties. Right. So she's free now. I would absolutely love to see her and Jed, of course, maybe take over and do like writing and directing one episode or more. We've seen they've they've got a real great grasp of kind of the Whedon style. Yeah, you know, they're they're very very skilled at writing and show running. I think she would be an amazing pick for an episode or two of the Nevers. Don't you think? Yeah, that's such an obvious choice that I didn't even think about. So a hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I haven't seen much of her work, but I mean, she is, and she's you know in the Whedon family. So of course, 
Let's have her. Join. <laughs> Tangentially, yeah. Whedon. And you have a third one? Right. <laughs> there is a third one. This one may come as a bit of a surprise because I think every time I've mentioned him so far on this podcast, it's been in a semi-derogatory fashion. But when it comes to writing amazing one-shot episodes, there are very few writers working today, especially on British television, that are better than Stephen Moffat. If you look at the all-time greatest, most loved episode of Doctor Who, it's Blink, one of his episodes. While I'm, I'm not a huge fan of him as a writer, I think where he fails is in writing season-long arcs and writing big, sweeping character arcs. He wouldn't need to do that here. He would leave that to people that are great at it, like Joss. What he's amazing at doing is rolling onto set like some kind of crazy pen-slinging cowboy, writing one killer episode <laughs> and then fucking off into the sunset. <laughs> if, if he could yeah. do that for the Nevers... I think he could, like, with the characters he's got, I think he could produce something really, really excellent. So I could could probably talk an hour about this very thing, because if you know me, two of my favorite things of (laughs) all time, and probably my two favorite things of all time, is Buffy and the BBC Sherlock. Um, (laughs) So I I always had a fever dream that, for some weird reason, Joss Whedon would write an episode. I know that would never happen, but it was just, you know, a dream um because i always wanted to see how his humor would be with like moriarty like he just loves villains that have fun so i would like do anything to see that so um you saying steven moffat would be in the nevers is also a great fit because i think joss and when steven moffat does good work they really do care about characters and character interactions so in a weird way they can be similar so I would love if Stephen Moffat wrote an episode. I don't don't know some of these folks, but I'm sure that they would be great. I don't really have a wish list, definitely, especially not for season two. I kind of want to see what happens in season one with the writers that are currently on it. Kind of see what kind of job that they've done. Of course, Joss Whedon is fantastic. Uh, any kind of Whedon alumni, because I, I'm familiar with their work, so I know that they will do a good job. Um, maybe one-shot episodes from the folks from American Horror Story. If we're going to do, if there are going to be some monsters or something, if it's going to be a bit darker of an episode, that would be interesting because I love that series. It is kind of bonkers and bananas at times, but dark and weird and really interesting. Um, and then definitely Penny Dreadful. I'm sorry, I don't know any, like, besides Ryan Murphy, who created American Horror Story, I don't know any of the writers' names from Penny Dreadful, but... You know, the Victorian London era monsters, it's gothic horror. Because in my mind, The Nevers is is going to be a quite serious show. Maybe it's not going to be, but in my mind, I'm imagining it as a more serious show, like Dollhouse, in the sense that there was like some comedic moments that, you know, um, Topher was a bit of your comedic kind of character for comedic relief. So I'm sure we'll have some of that. Probably Nick Frost's character will be kind of funny. But overall, the general tone of the show is going to be serious. Uh, so I And I loved Penny Dreadful so much that that would be a great kind of pairing, I think. I could definitely see that working. I mean, if they're set in Victorian London, if there isn't an episode from the Penny Dreadful writers where they'd have to take out, like, Jack the Ripper or someone, that's, that's just an opportunity. That's an opportunity missed. <laughs> I mean... It's a match made totally, in I know. hell, because not heaven. <laughs> Jack the Ripper's definitely not in heaven. 
Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with Kelly. Like, I would love Buffy esque writers um, to come on board for season two. I would also love for them to keep the same exact writers' room for the most part. Have everyone either co-write or write episodes that did in season one because that's important to me. Like, I don't want anyone losing their job. <laughs> but I would love Marty Knoxon and Jane Spencer and you know the regular Whedon-y writers. But I have. Uh, Two other ones that I would like to add really quick. Um, one of my favorite female writers, and this is definitely not going to happen, but one of my favorite female writers is um, Jane Goldman. <laughs> she has written the screenplay for Stardust, Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class, The Woman in Black. Um, she also wrote, I haven't seen this film, but she also wrote Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. The only reason oh. she's not definitely not going to do the Nevers is she is the showrunner for the new Game of Thrones prequel for HBO. Um, so I'm sure oh she's boy. incredibly busy, but I just think that kind of sensitivity of like weird, but again, very focused on character interactions is what I think the Nevers is going to be. So that's one. Definitely not going to happen, but um, my other one is... Uh, Melissa Rosenberg, she is she was the showrunner for Jessica Jones. Um, she's also <laughs> written a lot of the Twilight films. We're not going to talk about that, but um, <laughs> but she, I love love Jessica Jones, and I definitely think Jessica Jones reminds me of the main character for the Nevers. So I definitely think, and she's also written some episodes for Dexter. So she has this kind of like darker sensibility about her. And since Jessica Jones is more modern than Twilight, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. And then one director that I would love, actually two, kind of cheating, is Paul McGuigan. He directed most of the BBC Sherlock episodes. And I just think camera-wise and how the actors portray their lines, I think he's a phenomenal director. And he's directed, I believe he did stuff for Luke Cage as well. And then my last one is Douglas McKinnon. He directed Good Omens, but he also directed the uh, BBC Sherlock Sherlockian Victorian London episode. So he obviously knows about Victorian London and how it's supposed to look and feel. Uh, that, that's a good list. I'm, yes. I'm very much very happy if any of those joined. Especially um, right. Jane Golden. I, hadn't, I completely hadn't thought of her, but she would be perfect. And I mean, if she's already working for HBO, it's, you know, they're going to be filming in similar areas maybe just hop to the next set across it could happen a lot of good choices there again if you're listening joss any of these people call them up it'll be amazing next we're moving on to the listener submitted letters some really good ones this week we're in for a lot of fun our first letter comes from long-term friend of the podcast d-man is at it again been loving your podcast so far you guys thank you very much d-man Here's a light-hearted question for you. I'd love to have actors like Amy Acker, Enver Gyokaj, or James Masters appearing on the show. But they're all American, and The Nevers takes place in Victorian London. Do you think that if they appear on the show, they should appear as American interlopers, or should they attempt to do a British accent? Please have... Very funny say, Please, can we do James Masters as an American? <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Or maybe have him appear as a young Spike. Yes, please. There, look, there's technology now where they de-age people. They just did in It Chapter 2 with the kids cast. Okay, we could totally have a younger Spike, okay? But I am very much up for anything that means more Amy Acker on screen. Agreed. And things, we, do, we do have that the little kind of intro. Is that there are American characters already. There's the evil American surgeon. He could have an evil American wife or an evil American husband or just a best friend, brother, sister. There's a hundred options of ways we could draft them over. And we do know James Masters' accent is acceptable. So he could could do a passable British accent. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Um, I would also love for Amy Acker to have a British accent. Um, Illyria always felt British to me. I know she's not, but she felt very Shakespearean. Um, so I would love to try to hear her um, do a British accent. She did rather have that aura about her, didn't she? Right. Yes. Yeah. Never thought of it until now. So thank you, Gina. No problem. <laughs> but yes, any Amy Acker is good for me. I don't care. Yeah, and Enver is just incredible um i haven't finished all house again i'll always say that i'm so sorry i will finish it one day Still? i loved it i know i know um i absolutely loved it from what i saw but yeah enver's phenomenal yeah, yeah. he's fantastic so well, the great thing with these three they could do american or british in my opinion so i've never seen him try but i'm i'm sh- pretty sure enver could pull off a decent british accent i seem because kind of a vaguely aristocratic english dickhead <laughs> yeah you could, you could yeah. do that in his sleep <laughs> <laughs> Great work as always, D-Man. Please keep it up. Your questions are always spot on. Our second letter is from Thorias. Hi, guys. Really enjoying the podcast. It's refreshing to hear a group of fans who are, God forbid, excited about a new Joss Whedon property rather than riding the very tiresome train thought train of thought of, he did a thing I disapprove of, or he wrote one thing I didn't like, therefore he is evil and I will hate him forever. Side note, if you're a Joss Whedon fan, stay clear of Tumblr. <laughs> Anywho, the first reason I'm writing is because something about the new round of casting announcements stood out to me. I haven't seen anyone bring this up yet, but it's interesting to me that there are two characters who do not or cannot talk. In the character breakdowns, both Viola Pretajon and Desiree Blodgett's sons are described as people who never speak. This makes me wonder if the not-speaking angle won't be just some character quirk, but a lord, larger story part of some kind. Will this be a situation like The Gentleman from Buffy, where one of the touched is traipsing around Victorian London, stealing people's voices? Or, since you've already theorised that the Mary Brighton character may have a power based around her voice, could that tie into it somehow? These dots seem to connect. That is a banging question for us. <laughs> right. I hadn't even thought of that, but then when he says it, it's like, there is a lot of mutes going mm-hmm. around. And the idea of like, a sort of, it wouldn't be a siren, what would it be? It's going around stealing people's voices. But it's like, the, the idea of one of the touch going around, just like draining out people's ability to speak. Mm-hmm. That is, I mean, that's a season arc right For there. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, or the ability, yes, to steal the voices and use them as their own. Oh. That would be helpful for you know <laughs> doing the work that maybe they need to do yeah i love that cool it'll be interesting to see what they do do with that i also like mm. the idea that like obviously in hush that's just an episode arc and it's brilliant i wouldn't want it mm. any other way but it is cool to think about it instead of it being just an episode storyline like a season storyline or even longer so that's a really good question mm. that you've kind of We've, we start off there's two people with no voice and then maybe like halfway through the series we meet another one and this goes on for like the first two or three seasons 
And then right then you're like, bah, I'm the voice stealing man. I've been collecting voices for like five years and now I'm, right? now I'm unstoppable. That would be a lot of fun. Although you had to wonder how stealing people's voices would give him power. Other than being able to talk in their voices, which would be fun, but not exactly. Yeah. Or there's a way that, you know, there was some kind of curse or something happened where in order to get powers, you had to have your voice taken away. Kind of a, a devil's bargain. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Or maybe if this is Victorian London, maybe some, some kind of disease yep. that strikes the vocal cords, some kind of ancient curse that strikes at vocal cords and like a plague. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Love a good plague. Lots of good stories to told. There's a lot of good story to be told in a plague, all I'm saying. Oh, for sure. Yep, Thryas isn't done with us yet. He has another question. The Nevers will be the first Whedon series to air on HBO and thus won't be encumbered by the restrictions of network television. That being the case, do you think we should expect the Nevers to be more risque than we're used to seeing from Joss's work? Since HBO are big fans of nudity and sex and things like that, what do you think an R-rated Wheaton show could have in store for us? And might this be a potential turn-off for fans who loved Buffy and Angel and the teen-oriented WB network back in day, who then tune into the Nevers and find lots of HBO-style sex and horror? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Best wishes, Thorias. Another great question there. It's a fantastic and... question. I'm a, little... yeah, I'm a little bit torn on this, to be honest, because, again, as I said, I've recently rewatched them. And Joss didn't exactly pull his punches. It wasn't, it's not like there was no risque humour or kind of implied... Se- there was no, like, bouncing genitals, but there was... <laughs> there was a lot of naughtiness. Much to our dismay. <laughs> yes, much to our dismay. Yeah. Yeah, because even in, like, season two of Buffy, like, you know Buffy and Angel slept together and... That was in season two. Yeah, it's a whole story. When kids are watching, and I know that sounds weird now, but back in the nineties, I'm sure. I don't know. Yeah, Joss never really kind of skirted around that. I something about True Blood that was on HBO that kind of got me to stop kind of watching was, in my opinion, it started becoming too much and just kind of unnecessary, and that's why I never really finished Game of Thrones after two seasons. Like. Me personally, I kind of hate gratuitous, like, let's just have it for no reason, just to have it, because we're adults here. And um, I I personally don't see Joss doing that. I think if it is more escape, I think if it does show more sex scenes, I think it would still be done in a very tasteful manner. And I personally don't think there'd be a lot of nudity. We would just see certain things. Yeah, I would have to agree. Um Fun fact, actually, Game of Thrones and the showrunners invented a term which I hope can now be burnt from the collective consciousness. The term was sex position. Oh, boy. Basically, when they needed to have a character do lots of exposition, lots of talking, and kind of fill in the blanks a bit with the lore, they would just have some people doing it in the foreground so as to keep the people in air quotes, interested (laughs) while the exhibition was happening. It was one of the stupidest things that's ever happened. There's this one scene, anyone that's watched Game of Thrones will know it, where Littlefinger is explaining a fairly dry story while also showing a new whore how to um, please the clients. And the whole scene is just so epically cringeworthy Mm. that it just, it, it completely takes you out of the show and you just think, there's no need for this. And the thing is, I would like to think that Joss is better than that. And while we may... I mean, yeah, there are a number of 
sort of street walkers in the show. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, when we were in brothels, we saw a bit of what went on in brothels because, you know, it happened. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be expecting kind of Game of Thrones, true blood, their true blood levels of kind of nudity. Gore, possibly, but not nudity. And to be fair, he's a much better writer. So he, he, even if he did put, you know, 10 minute long expositionary speeches, they would be interesting enough that you wouldn't need anything happening in the foreground. You would just need to see the actors and their faces and their reactions. And that would be enough. Sorry, I was gonna say for me, uh, I definitely agree with you folks. I personally would love a more sexy R-rated Joss Whedon project where there's going to be swearing, you know, some nudity, some sex. But for me, when it comes to sexuality and nudity and let's say horror and gore and violence, I want things to be as authentic as possible. So, you know, if you shoot someone, there's going to be blood. If you cut someone a certain way, there's going to be a certain amount of blood. Um, you know, so I want them to just have things as authentic as they would be. Just like you said, Tyg, about if there's going to be scenes with, you know, sex workers at the time, if they're going to be in a brothel, anything, just show things that would just be authentically happening. Not, you don't have to be overly explicit about things unless it makes sense for the scenes, the characters and everything. But I think you're right again about this show isn't going to need it. Joss isn't really that kind of person. You know what I mean? I don't think he will amp it up just because it's HBO. He's going to do, we're going to talk about restrictions. You know, that, you know, in that sense, we might find that HBO, not necessarily that's a restriction, but like that's an expectation. But there's a lot of shows that aren't really like that. You know, The Sopranos definitely had some sex and sexuality in it, but I don't think it was over the top. I think it was just authentic to the types of people and scenarios that, you know, those mobsters were in, you know? So I don't think it'll be over top. I think it'll just, it'll make sense within the context of the show. That's my, at least, hope and a bit of an expectation. Yeah. Beautifully said. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself, I think. <laughs> Thank you. That no, no more needs to be said on that subject. You nailed it. Thank you. So we will move on to... <laughs> Okay, they definitely put this here on purpose. The next letter is from Stuffer Muffin. <laughs> who writes, What do you think the show will have to say on a deeper level, besides all the cool action, fighting and quips? Women and minorities are still today fighting for equality. I can't imagine what it was like in the Victorian era. Do you think they'll tackle deeper issues on the show? The female characters in the show will have power. Power at a time when women were expected to know their place and stay in there. But these characters, I suspect, won't be subscribing to that belief system and as a result, upsetting the norm. Thoughts? Love the podcast. Great question there, Stuff Muffin. <laughs> I think I'm going to pass this one over to you two because it seems an obvious choice. I definitely think without a doubt that is, um, again, maybe I'm naive and maybe I'm too hopeful, but I, I feel like that's why Joss even came up with this idea. Mm. I think that's a huge reason why he even came up with a lot of the things he comes up with. So I don't see this being an exception to that, especially because there's so many female characters, especially because they have powers in an era where they shouldn't. Um, even if he was making this in a modern day, it, it's amazing to see a show that has so many female protagonists, but it's not modern day. So uh, yeah, I, I don't, 
what Joss does with superpowered women is he always makes them complex. And to me, me personally, that's what a strong woman character means is that they're complex because we don't have enough of those still in television and film. That's the refreshing part. I know these characters have superpowers, but that's not going to be the only thing they have. They're going to be rich characters. They're going to be fully fleshed out. And even just by the character descriptions that we have, it already seems that way. So, yeah, I'm obviously I'm a woman. I'm Latina. So it's very important for me for women and minorities to fight for equality. And I, I just, again, don't see that not being almost the main point of the show, in my opinion. Uh, I think that was beautifully said and I don't really have much to add to it. it was great insight into you know I didn't Thank even you. think about you know the the idea of yeah maybe Joss did choose this era and time because women really were seen as aesthetically pleasing you know objects you know and I think this will be a wonderful um, experiment for him to have these women during this time and and then like the surrounding environments probably a lot of the ma the male characters and just maybe you know also different female characters and how they try to relate to them or can't relate to them or just react to them like you know if we have i don't you know maybe some of these uh characters are not the sex workers at the time but you know maybe you know there'll be times when the the nevers will or the touched will help out these disenfranchised women and disenfranchised women overall and people. And maybe they'll be frowned upon because they're helping these lower humans. You know what I mean? And you're right. The complex characters is not only about physical strength or having a superpower. It's about being a nuanced human being as we all are. Uh, I don't really have much to add to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've seen from the character to bios already, we've seen a paragraph on each character, but already just from that, we can tell these are complex, deep, three-dimensional characters already just based on their introductions. So, I mean, I can't really see Joss having a base like that and not using it to say something that echoes throughout the ages. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's got everything he needs to make a public statement and he's got the platform to do it, so it'd be crazy not to. Excellent question there, Stuffer Muffin. Thank you for that. Next up, Herbert has emailed us. Hi, I've been a subscriber to your show since you first launched and I'm really digging it. Thank you, Herbert. You're a lot of fun and I always look forward to a new episode. I have a question. It's something I've been thinking about since the cast was announced. With such a last, large cast, are you, like me, afraid that some characters will get shortchanged? I hope not because a lot of them sound interesting and could be a major character. What do you think? Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of on this on the same wavelength in that it is a very large cast, and it's only ten episodes per season. Even with an hour per episode, there's going to be some characters that aren't as important to the arc of that season as others will be. So you have to imagine that, for instance, uh, I've, I've forgotten her name. Sorry. The young lady that speaks early in gibberish, kind of the mascot character. I can't really see her getting a lot of scenes all to herself. And you know, while I can see uh, the the doctor and the surgeon having some time together, 
I can't really see them crossing over a lot with the story of kind of the Touched and the Nevers and the main crew. So I have a distinct suspicion that we're going to be seeing a lot of the orphanage and a lot of the characters connected to the orphanage. Probably a bit of the characters in the underground. And then about as much of the sort of surgeon and the doctor type people as we see of a bad guy in any Joss Whedon show. And that's kind of, that's how the division of screen time is going to go. So I, I can see some characters being not forgotten, but sidelined slightly. However, that season one, if those characters prove to be fan favourites, mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. see them getting larger parts in coming seasons. And just because a character maybe doesn't get much time on screen now doesn't mean that's always going to be the same way. Agreed. That's a great point. And that's a really great question because that is a huge cast. As you know, I was reading through and refreshing uh, my memory earlier. There is a lot. But then I started thinking about Orange is the New Black. So a human drama show that you know, I normally watch a lot of horror, but I really fell in love with that show. And it went for, I believe, now five seasons. And that was a pretty big cast. All of those characters in prison. But by the end of it, you know, you'd have like one character have a bigger, you know, presence in an episode. And then maybe not for a couple. Uh, and you very slowly, very slowly learned about more of these characters as the five seasons went on. So by the end... You knew so much about all of them and cared about all of them. I mean, that's a long time to, like, commit to a show and characters, specifically the characters. But, I mean, it was still worth it because even though it was a big cast, you learned about everyone and you cared about everyone a lot. So at the end, like, you were very moved, uh, you know, by by their situations and, you know, eventually where their stories ended. Yeah, and actually just, I'm, I have the same concern, but I'm, I'm excited because it must be a, a writing challenge for them and I want to see how they tackle that. And I feel like they wouldn't have created so many characters if they didn't think they could tackle it. So it, it just might be an, a different kind of writing than maybe we've never seen, or maybe it is definitely going to be like Orange is the New Black. And I, I just, I feel confident in that writer's room. And there's a reason there's so many characters, you know, because they easily could have just taken some out, you know? It's an excellent point. Like, Comparing it to something like Game of Thrones, this is an original IP, so it's not like they've, all right, we have to stick these 10 characters in because they were in the book, so they have to be here. They've created this show from scratch. They're not going to create a character just to do nothing with them. So, yeah, while I think there will, some characters will get more screen time than others, I do think every character is going to get their moment in the spotlight, their kind of their chance to shine. Really had us thinking on that one. I'm, I'm still a little kind of zoned in on that. Yeah, thank you very much. And before we close out this episode, we'd like to give a quick shout out to all our followers. Chai Tea Latte, that's with two H's. Small Seal 17, Berger Bowie, Penin Vase, Killer Neri, Isaac Bar David, Song Stephen 2, Precious One with no E and two S's. The Real FK9 and IMO Fleety. Thank you for your continued support, for sharing our posts on Facebook and for liking, retweeting and commenting on our tweets. We really do appreciate it. We really appreciate you. As long as we keep making it and you keep liking it, we'll keep doing it. Okay, that's it for today. 
Thank you so much for listening and being part of the Nevers podcast community. Please remember to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss any episodes when they go live and to rate us on iTunes as that really helps us grow our audience. You can find us on hbothenevers.com and you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search at hbothenevers. Remember, you can always send us your comments, questions, suggestions and concerns. Anything you want to say to us at theneverspodcast at gmail.com. Kelly, Gina, thank you for joining me today. Where can our listeners find you when you're in the Neversphere? For me, uh, I'd say you can find me on Twitter at kgredner. This is where I'll plug my other projects. I have a horror project called the Spinsters of Horror, and we have a website, spinstersofhorror.com, a once a month podcast called I Spin on Your Podcast. And a couple of months ago, we did a Buffy episode related to this project too. So please check that out. And that's where I'm at always. Awesome. I will definitely do that (laughs) as well. (laughs) Um, So you can find me on Twitter as well. Uh, My Twitter is at Gina Gemini, but I spell Gemini with an E in the middle. And yeah, feel free to follow my twin sister and I's band. We are called Gemini again with an E in the middle. Um, If you go to my Twitter, I also link that as well. And we're probably going to come out with a new song in a few days and we have it in years. So if you're interested, um, you can find our album on iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify. We have Buffy related songs on there. So again, Gemini. And I've been Tyke. I'm not on social media, but if you find me in real life, I'll grant a wish. (laughs) So until next time, this has been the Nevers Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Have CGI tongues, CGI tongues, CGI tongues, tongues, tongues. This episode of the Nevers Podcast was written, researched, produced, and edited by Matthew Yamanashi. The intro and outro music was produced by Gilirme Morais. We are more than just a podcast, we're a fan community. You can keep up to date on the Nevers and chat with other fans by visiting hbothenevers.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search HBO The Nevers, all one word, and click that follow button. Do you like what you hear on The Nevers Podcast? Care to share your opinion? If you do, then consider leaving a review for the show. Your review helps us to reach new listeners and let us know how we're doing. Go on, it only takes a minute. The Nevers Podcast is not endorsed by Mutant Enemy, Warner Media Entertainment, or any of its subsidiaries, including Home Box Office, HBO and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. The Nevers and all names, pictures and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders.